Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. Too many. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Carol. Hello, Dee. The sun is shining in central Indiana. Amen, sister. It's shining in Oklahoma, too. And the snow is almost gone. And this afternoon, it is 71 beautiful degrees. This is on Monday or Tuesday. We're recording on Tuesday. Yes, and so here it's going to get into the 40s. I'll be walking. You'll be walking. Yeah, me. Yeah, amen. But gosh almighty, last week, we, boy, there was so much snow on my driveway, and it was so cold, and then the plow came and put a two-foot mountain at the end. Right. So I texted my sister to see if her, her kids had friends, and her coworker had this nephew that did it. So I texted him, and he came out the next day and got me all squared up and guess what it counts as gardening do you know why why because this guy i didn't know who he was he's got like a little landscape lawn business and he does shrub removal and i have some big shrubs that i want out of here and i'm like should i do that and then i thought i should pay somebody to do that so that's right you should pay somebody to do that amen so i think these guys will be coming back uh maybe in a month or so i'll have them rip out these big shrubs fun. Well, that's wonderful. And that'll make you feel good. And then you know what happens when you remove big shrubs? Places to plant stuff. Yay. High five. Yes. And the other thing I did, (laughs) now this is an important announcement, Dee. Okay. I feel like that everybody needs a gardening motto, but people don't know what should my gardening motto be. So you... I came up with a gardening motto generator and put it on my blog and we will post a link to it. So people can come up with their own gardening mottos. And you know what mine turns out to be? No, what is yours? It's garden thoughtfully. I looked, I actually read your post on your, on your website. And it said, and so I looked mine up and mine was weed carefully. And that's a good motto for me because every spring I accidentally weed up plants that I actually like. Every spring. See? The... The motto generator knows all, sees all, and will help you out. It's like the magic eight ball. How's your garden, D? Other than sunny and 70, I'm kind of jealous. Go ahead. 71 today. Right now it's not. Right now it's only 44, but it's going to be 71. Um, my garden is got still got a little snow, but most it'll all be gone by today. And um, I, it's, you know, it's, it's a mess because of the ice storm in October uh, and also the snowstorm in December that was wet snow. This snow, even though we had a lot of it, wasn't so bad. But I thought today we would talk about managing my greenhouse in the wintertime really quickly. Okay. People ask me about that all the time. All right. So let's talk about your heat, first of all. Your heat, heat is a big deal. And people don't realize how big a deal it is until you get one of those bad winter snaps And people always think it's not going to be that bad, and it is bad. Oklahoma is in the center of the prairies, and you're going to get really cold weather. In fact, it went down to negative 17 
when we had this last storm because we had so much snow, we had right. skies, right. no wind, right? So you need a two-stage heat system. That's how I manage mine. I have electric and propane. Because what happened in Oklahoma and Texas during this last storm? Uh, the power outages, so people lost power. Right, and the same thing happened in October here for two weeks, although we weren't on the national news. I'm not, you know, I don't resent that or anything. Um, I don't really want to be on the national news, but people were out for two weeks, just like they've been down in Texas, and it causes all kinds of problems. So we make sure before we're going to have a cold snap that we refill all of our propane bottles. And now someone's going to come and ask me what size they are. I don't, I don't know. I know I have three of them. And so we go refill them. We don't have someone come in and refill propane. I've I've actually thought about having a propane truck come by, but you need to do it before the cold snap because guess who doesn't drive in the snow? Propane trucks. Right. All right, so you need two stations of heat. You need a thermometer and especially get a thermometer that has Bluetooth. They aren't expensive. You can find them everywhere, probably on the big A. And it needs to have Bluetooth so that you can have a thermometer inside your house to tell you how warm it is in the greenhouse. We saw that the elect, we knew the propane was going out because the electric heater before the cold snap, it started getting cooler in there. We keep it about 65. All right. So there's that. Think about a running water source below ground. The first two years I had the greenhouse, I had five gallon buckets inside that were full of water and I dipped inside of them and watered it all by hand. I now have had a pipe run underneath and I just have, I have a real like, um, hose in sprayer or a long one uh-huh. by that favorite company we love. What's the yeah. name of that favorite company? That Dram. Hawes. Hawes. I love Dram too. And Dram would work great too. Mine happens to be a long Hawes, but you could use a long Dram and that way you can spray your plants, which is important not only for water, but when you get spider mites in the winter, cause you're going to, and you got to make those plants wet. I have spider mites. I've had mealybugs. Mealybugs are alcohol dipped on Q-tips. Spider mites drench those babies. All right, so let's see. You want to that you want it underground so it'll stay warm inside the greenhouse during cold weather. Also consider putting in lights so that you can go out there and deal with stuff tonight. Expect bug problems. Expect expect them ahead. Figure out an organic or is at least as non, you know, not too hard way to figure it out because you're breathing that greenhouse air too. Right. Um, have potting soil inside the greenhouse so it doesn't refreeze and you can repot things. You can also start seeds inside, but purchase e- heat mats for eggplant, tomatoes, and peppers. It is not as warm as your house. And the truth is, if you're going to start seeds inside, you need those anyway for those plants, especially the eggplants. Okay. I think that's all I can say about my greenhouse right away. That's a good start. And do you, uh, do you have a blog post about that? You should. You know, I do have a blog post, but I probably need to write another one that's even more detailed. But I'll look for that and we'll link to it. Yeah, that'd be great. And so here's the thing we want to say for our listeners in Texas and Oklahoma and other areas hit by hard weather. We have decided we have a lot to say about recovering from bad weather. We're going to put it on a special episode to talk about gardening after terrible, awful weather. So that'll come out probably the day after this, probably like Thursday of this week. Um, so don't think we're just ignoring all your troubles. We we got some no. advice. No, and we've been through it. We got words of comfort. Yeah, really words of comfort. Because truthfully, right now, isn't that what everyone needs? Yeah, they just need like a garden hug. 
A garden hug. Garden podcast hug. Okay, so we have a quote. When you're walking alone, listen to the sermon preached to you by the flowers, the trees, the shrubs, the sky, the sun, and the whole world. St. Paul of the Cross. And I think that's interesting because it's saying go back to nature. Because nature, although sometimes rough on us, it also helps us recover. And I definitely think during bad times, it's the best. Especially now that we're past the uh, giant snowmageddon or whatever they're calling it in Texas, Um, our So we for our flower this week, we decided to talk about stretching hardiness zones, microclimates, and covering plants. And this ties into our book. It does, the book we're going to talk about in just a minute. But I did want to say, I hope people see like the sun especially. I, I hope there's happiness coming from our voices because we are both sitting in sunny locations and you can see me on the thing. I got the sun streaming in this south window like nobody's business. You do. And I'm able to look outside and see my sunshine legustrum, which looks pretty rough right now, but it's going to be okay. It'll, it'll bounce back. So we have both tried to stretch hardiness zones. And so <laughs> you have one that didn't work. I have one that didn't work. Let's talk about that because doesn't, any, doesn't failure make people happy? To know we failed. <laughs> <laughs> I think knowing that, you know, that other people have failed makes people feel better. Yes. I do. And, and it doesn't stop me from trying to do that again. Right. I just think you have to have the right attitude about it. So my first one that I tried that didn't work in my part of Oklahoma was the Lady Banks Rose. I wanted a Lady Banks Rose. It's the one that blooms yellow. It's an amazing rose. There's also a white one, too, but I was growing the yellow one. Um, That's not hardy (laughs) in zone 7A where I live out in the country. And let's talk about a little bit about how it's too cold here. And part of the reason it's too cold here is I don't live in the city. Exactly. We don't have a bunch of streets to reflect heat. I don't live in a brick house, which also reflects heat. And that kind of takes us into microclimates. So... It's a climbing rose, and um, it was similar to a rose. Is it a rose that your dad had as a kid? Well, you said the Lady Banks, you found out that it drops all at petals at one time, and that kind of makes a big mess. Ugh. And I remember... And it made me, yeah. My dad had a climbing rose, and I think it was a Seven Sisters rose. Don't quote me on that. But it had pink blooms. It would bloom for a couple of days, and then all at once, all the petals are on the ground, which was great fun to play in. And I still love when you walk under like a crab apple and you see all those petals on the ground. I mean, that's one of the things I love about my crab apple is the petal fall. Right. So. Right. And I can understand that because it's a it's magical, right? It is. Like, wouldn't you love to go to Japan during the cherry festival? Yes. And be there when all those cherry blossoms fall. That's one of my uh, bucket list items. I want to go there during Cherry Festival. And I will one of these days. So once I found out that the Lady Banks Rose dropped everything at once, I didn't feel so bad about the fact that I couldn't grow it. So it's okay to try. Yeah, let's talk about microclimates. And what you said is true about concrete and brick. I have a brick house. And so the front faces south. And there are some areas right by that brick that uh, at one time, and it got covered up by a shrub, not one of the big shrubs I'm taking out. I had a crocus bloom on Jan- January the 12th, which is like almost two months early. 
Right. Because it was right there where heat was coming off that brick and it warmed that little pocket of soil up. That's what you call a microclimate. And even now, as you watch things melt, the snow is melting from the sidewalk in. And so you right. can see the grass there because the heat from the sidewalk is melting the snow faster. Exactly. And so in town, um, it, wherever you live, it is always warmer than it is out in the country. I know that in the in the summertime, when it reaches 102 degrees in town, it might only be 98 degrees here. So it has good and bad qualities. And even in my yard, I have microclimates. And I always tell people, if you want to try something new, try it on the east side of the house. It'll get morning sun, and it won't get too hot in the afternoon and get burned up on the southwest side. It won't get too cold in the winter because of the north side. So I always say, if it's something iffy, Try it on the east side. Try it up near your house so it gets that warmth from your house, things like that. That's one thing. Also, on the west side, of so my house faces west, and then my backyard faces east. On the west side of the house, things warm up way too fast in the spring, and then they get zapped in what people call Easter winter. Do you have Easter winter where you live? We do. I think sometimes around here they'll call it dogwood winter because it happens when the dogwoods are blooming. Everybody has those where the, you know, spring's not a very calm season at times no. and the weather can be up and down as we know from last spring. But I, I had similar advice because I tried to grow camellias, which are not hardy, but they changed my zone to 6A. So I thought, let's give it a whirl. Yeah. How'd that go? And they didn't, they didn't make it. But I'll, I'll tell you the advice. I actually bought an old book from the 70s, and I was looking for it. I can't find it. Maybe in disgust, I sold it off or something. You probably about did. About how, how to grow camellias in warm climate or cold climates. Yeah. And uh, first of all, you have to pick a variety that is really hardy. And some of the big cam- camellia nurseries, they'll tell you which ones they think are the hardiest. And then their advice was to plant it on the north side so it really would stay cold until spring was good and ready to go because the it would leaf out too soon and then we would have cold and that would kill it off wait a minute so something you said was, is important. don't let it leaf out yeah <laughs> i'm go back to it would leaf out too soon so camellias in the south are evergreen so everybody is not really Evergreen here. No, I guess not. And that's a good example of how cold it is where you live in the wintertime. But I'm sorry to interrupt you. So the idea was they won't leaf out too soon. Yeah, or bud out, the new buds. And so even the camellias in the south, they bud out in the spring. Right. Late winter. Yeah. <laughs> but they they still all died. I tried three. So I have a friend, um, and she was a garden coaching client, and her name's Jay, and she lives in Norman, where they can grow, Norman, Oklahoma, which is an hour south of my house, and they can grow camellias. And she was really, really worried about hers and had covered them because hers are starting to bud out. Camellias are already blooming in Florida and South Carolina right now, but in Oklahoma, the, in the southern part, they were just starting to bud out. And I'm going to have to ask her how they did, because it got pretty cold down in Norman, too. She has big, big camellias. So yeah, that's and interesting. The other, thing, the other thing I found out about camellias is there are some that bloom more towards the fall. And I think I had like one that was fall blooming and one that was spring blooming because the spring blooming one, it was called April Snows. It was mm-hmm. white. Um, but anyway, 
yeah, it's not a great chapter. And am I ever going to try it again? I might. And uh, we'll see. Yeah, you I, might not. You know, you might not try that again. But you're going to try something else to do. You know, probably because we all do. I mean, we all stretch zones. And I always tell people, if you aren't killing stuff, then you're not expanding your horizons. Yeah, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> it's okay to kill things. Don't feel bad. People feel really bad when they accidentally kill plants. And I'm like, don't feel bad. Plants aren't mad nah, at you. That, yeah, we we yeah. We're fine. We'll, we've killed so many. Oh, yeah. I would want to reiterate on the microclimates that if you're growing the little bulbs like snowdrops, crocuses, iris reticulata, if you can find those little warm spots like by your front, if you're like mine faces south, up by the brick and stuff, you are likely to get earlier flowers. And when I walk the neighborhood, I notice that there's this little, I'll call, I call them puddles, a little puddle of snowdrops. That these people have in this planting by their snow, by their sidewalk or right. by the sidewalk. And so I've been walking by it and then we got this huge snow. I mean, those things were up like three inches and about ready to bloom. Yeah. Cause they're right by the sidewalk. Right. Well, they're on a court and the snowplow just pushed that snow. Oh. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if they're going to make it. We'll see. Well, I'm going to go walk by it today and see what they look like if they've started to show again. Yeah, I'm looking out my window, and I put Irish reticulata's bulbs up next to my house underneath that ligustrum, that sunshine ligustrum. Um, yeah, they're they got bent over, and I don't know if they'll bloom or not. Well, no, that's no. I see a bloom on one, and I see a bloom on something else I planted, which I'm not recognizing what it was. So that'll be interesting, and it's laying over a little bit because it was covered in you know ten inches of snow. But hey. Think spring. Hope spring is eternal. Spring. Spring. <laughs> well, let's go on to our next quote. I think we've exhausted this topic. Yeah, but I like it. I think it was a good topic for us today. Yes. Why? What's the matter that you have such a February face, so full of frost, of storm, and cloudiness? William Shakespeare in Much Ado About Nothing. I love I, that quote. I love that quote. And now every time I see somebody that looks all mean and nasty and... Bad mood, I'm going to say, you got a February face on. Got your February face on because what is my least least favorite month in Oklahoma is February. However, it's going to be pretty today and all the rest of this week. So I'm I'm so excited. Yeah. And I'll tell you, and this is like a digression of how the seasons are different. Three years ago, I think on February the 25th, I think it was 2018, Mm -hmm. we had a gorgeous week. And I went out and I had stuff blooming all over my garden. I had crocuses, iris reticulata, winter aconites. And I went around the garden and I took pictures of all that. And then it's part of one of my garden talks when I talk about year-round flowers. It says, hey, if you have an early spring, you're not going to have early blooms unless you planted this stuff. Mm -hmm. I had it all over. And I was planting the pansies and violas on the 25th of February that year. This year, probably (laughs) not, but in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. February. I'm looking at my blog trying to figure out if I, I know I had a really good February because I wrote, oh, February, you doll you. That was a a post one year. Look at 2018. While you're looking, (laughs) I want to say we do not have February faces. We We do not. We're in a really good mood. We're going to talk about a vegetable that D does not grow 
and Carol does not grow. So that should be, we should have a little <laughs> trepidation. But we wanted to talk about rhubarb, which introduces the topic of perennial vegetables. These are the vegetables, and the others are like horseradish and asparagus. You plant it, I don't want to say once, but you plant it, and then you've got that plant for years to come to harvest. And so rhubarb is one of those that if you plant it, you're going to have a good, productive 8 to 15 years out of that plant. And you do not grow rhubarb. Oh, no. No, no. I don't grow rhubarb. (laughs) And the reason why is rhubarb actually likes it a little on the cool side. In the summer. In the summertime. (laughs) And it's hot here. I mean, I I know people know that because I talk about it endlessly, but it's, it's really hot here. Now, I'm not saying that people in Tulsa can't grow rhubarb, but where I live, I've tried, and it didn't grow here. And that's okay. Yeah, and probably our listeners in Texas are going to be like, fast forward, rhubarb, we're not growing that. So my question is, do you guys eat rhubarb? Do you buy it at the store and eat it in pies and stuff? No. My grandmother, um, my granny who lived in Aurora, Missouri, she grew rhubarb, and she made a rhubarb pie every every year, a rhubarb strawberry pie. It's very tart, people. You need something on top of it to cut well, the tartness. Yeah, the, the it thing, is really good. The thing about rhubarb is, let's, let's just talk about how to grow it real fast. Um, it needs, you, you need to pick a good spot for it that you are content to have it live there for literally ever. Um, so amend the soil, give it good compost, make sure it's in full sun, make sure it has good drainage. Like we said, it likes cool, moist summers. Uh, so if we have some dry spells, you might want to water the rhubarb. Then yeah. in in the spring, when the shoots come up, you harvest the stems and eat those. And generally, the only thing I can think of that people make with rhubarb is rhubarb strawberry pie and mm-hmm. rhubarb crisp. And rhubarb compote that they put on top of like pork chops. I've seen them do that. Yeah. But, that, but it's pretty tart and you don't want to eat the leaves. Because the leaves are poisonous. Yes. They have oxalic acid in them. So you have to cut off all the leaves. And then Mm -hmm. whatever you do, if you don't like tart, rhubarb needs sugar, 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 and plenty of it. It's kind of like gooseberries. Yes. Gooseberries is another tart one that my grandmother also, she grew and made pies from. So I know it grows in southern Missouri. I, and I, so it must grow up in Tulsa. And I know a lot of people are going to write me this week and go, of course it grows here. And I'll say, great. So yay for people who can grow rhubarb. So the other thing about rhubarb is it's, it's a perennial. So you can dig and divide it. They said every eight to 10 years and that kind of keeps it growing. You do not want it to flower. If it starts to flower, you should keep cutting out those flower stems because it'll weaken the plant and you won't get as the, the leaf stems that you want that are the, the edible part. Um, right. You would also plant it in the spring as soon as you can work the soil. March is fine. And here's what's driving me crazy right now, D. I go to the store and I see those displays, you know, and they have those bare root plants in boxes and they're starting yeah. to leaf out. And like, yep. we, we had horrible weather. Don't buy those people right now. That, that, they're going to have to throw all those in the dumpster. Yeah. And usually like rhubarb asparagus. I always see rhubarb, asparagus, grapes, different things like that. And I'm like, don't buy those people. And I feel like, should I hang around by the display and don't buy that? Don't buy that. I actually do that occasionally. Like if I see somebody going for a fuchsia basket because they look so great in the spring or 
something that's, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to grow one of these things, go ahead and just order your plants or buy them from a local nursery. Yeah. So rhubarb, they the right time to sell them. And we'll, I'll find a good source for rhubarb online and I'll put that in our show notes. You're going to buy a bare root rhubarb and you are going to plant it in like this March when you can work the soil and have a good spot for it. But it's a permanent spot, so to speak. Here, here you would grow it. You would start it in February. You would put it out in February. Yeah. Even though we just had that snowstorm, um, you want to start, you would do it probably by the end of February, but you could go ahead and plant it through March if you wanted to, if you want to try it. Um, pretty much in our deal, I'm usually a month ahead of you in yeah. the spring. And at the end, I have a month longer than you do. So your season's a little shorter. It is. Not much. And we can grow just, she can grow just as much food as I can. So are we done with rhubarb? Please. I am finished with rhubarb because I don't eat it. You don't eat it. I don't grow it. You don't grow it. But if somebody wants to grow it, there you go. Rhubarb. I think you can get frozen rhubarb from Trader Joe's. I think I've seen it in the spring. Oh, I'm sure you can buy it. Yeah. So if you want to make a rhubarb strawberry pie, you go right ahead. Carol, you want to do our next quote? Our next quote is, I have enjoyed greatly the second blooming. Suddenly, if you find at the age of 50, say, that a whole new life has opened before you. Agatha Christie. Who we love. And we just love that. Because yeah. we are in our second blooming, which makes That's me happy. That's right. I might be in my third so this, blooming. Who knows? I don't, well, it doesn't matter because we're perennials. All right. So on the bookshelf, we are talking about Lori Bull's book. Fearless Gardening, Be Bold, Break the Rules, and Grow What You Love, which goes in with our theme of talking about microclimates and things we've grown that didn't work out. And our, I consider Lori a friend. Um, I have talked to her a lot at Garden Bloggers events because she has a blog, and it's called Danger Garden. And I was so pleased to see her book um, by Timber Press. Yes, and this is great. I love how she does the, the um, it's dedicated to every gardener who has ever thought, but I can't or I shouldn't. Yes, you can, and yes, you should. And so if you are timid in the garden, you want to read this book because, so she says, there's another quote she has in the book that says, people think about the word fearless to mean without fear, but I see it actually mean with fear, but you did it anyway. And that's a writer, activist, self-proclaimed professional troublemaker whose name I cannot pronounce that she quoted there. <laughs> um, she, she's a, she is a really interesting gardener. Um, she gardens in Oregon. And um, yep. what do you expect to see in Oregon? Plants that um, like rain, plants that like moderate temperatures, plants that don't need... Um, well, you just don't expect to see sharp succulents, right? No, I mean, Portland, Oregon, I think she's in the Portland area. She is. I mean, it's the city of roses. And so, but she's not growing roses. She's growing agaves and palms and things that are spiky, which is why she calls her blog, I think, Danger. Right, Garden. because you can get hurt in it. And I started reading her because I read Pam Pinnock's blog and she and Pam talked a lot back and forth because Pam, who lives in Austin, Texas, also grows these same plants. But Lori grows them in Portland. And I just exactly. smile when I say that because I've been to Lori's garden because the garden bloggers went to Portland once. And yes, she has a lot of spiky plants. And she also has some loss in her garden because the winters yes. 
are not always favorable to the kind of plants she loves. But I love her commandments. Yes. Well, they're not commandments. She tells you how to break all the gardening commandments, how to create a garden you love, and that there is no right way to garden. And so that, I'm about halfway through, and I love it. And uh, I think this is one that's going to stay here at my garden and house, and I'm not going to give it away. So I think I'm also going to say to people, the next time I get one of these questions, which I get a lot, can I plant X in Oklahoma? And I'll say, I think I'll say, if you're bold enough to, if you're exactly. if you're fearless enough, because sometimes I write back, no, that doesn't do well in Oklahoma. But I think I'm going to change my tune and say, you know what, if you're fearless and you want to try you go right ahead because honestly, it doesn't matter what you plant, stuff's gonna die, like or stuff's gonna get damaged. Like right now, my southern magnolia, it has a bunch of broken limbs in it because not because of the ice, because of the snow. Now all that snow on all those evergreen leaves, it weighted it down, and a bunch of the limbs split. And you know what I'm gonna do? What? Trim up those limbs and go on with my life and the magnolia's life. Very good idea. So anyway, this is a great book. We're keeping it. Uh, you can check out Lori and her blog at thedangergarden.com. She's been blogging since 2009. I met her in Austin in 2018. Is that when we went? 2018. Yeah. And so yes. that's Fearless Garden. Fearless Gardening, Be Bold, Break the Rules, Grow What You Love by Lori Bull. And from Timber Press, we'll put a link in the show notes. This is on our keeping it here, reading it ourselves list. Love it. And I'm going to say one more thing about Lori. I know we're running long, but people just have to deal. Lori in person is really quiet, um, and she does not write quietly. You know what I mean? No, she, she doesn't. I would I would almost say she's kind of shy, and but she has this at least the last time I saw her, she has this great haircut and it kind of falls in front of her eyes. And I always think she's kind of mysterious. She is. And And maybe it's one of those people that when she gets into the garden, her superpower cape comes on and she's out there slaying it and really getting it done and doing things that you're like, not supposed to do that. And she's like, watch me. That's right. And she's also flexible in the garden, I think. That's good. So she's willing to do things that she's got to be flexible emotionally and not worry about the fact that stuff sometimes dies. Exactly. It just does. All right. So let's move on so, to our dirt. Yes. So You're going to talk about our dirt more than I am because you know about it. So I discovered through Susan Morrison, and we talked about her book that she wrote with Rebecca Sweet, Garden Up. And so I've been corresponding back and forth with Susan a little bit on email, as you have been. And she's speaking at the Meyer Garden Lectures. Um, This is a virtual event, and Meyer Gardens is up in Michigan. And they have four virtual lectures in their series. Two of them are going to be given by Susan, the first one on March the 2nd. And guess what, Dee? They're free. Right, and anybody can go to them because they're online. This is one good thing about this year the year of the pandemic, you can see a lot of things online that you might not have the money to go there and travel. And I've seen Susan speak many times. She's a garden designer and she's a very good speaker. Right. And even if you're like, oh, that's Michigan and I live in Atlanta or I live in Texas, Susan is out in California. So this is, they'll have information that will be relevant to any gardener. 
So we recommend it. I we'll, think so too. We'll put a note in the show links, or the we'll put a, we'll put a link in the show notes. I got that all turned around. Anyway, happens. Yeah. So that's the dirt. We're happy to pass along the word. I've signed up for all four of them. <laughs> oh, good for you. I think I'll sign up too because you know, and if I can go, I'll go. And if something happens. I'll just not go to that particular one. I'd love to hear them speak because I need some garden inspiration too. Sometimes, A, I don't have all the answers. And B, I get tired like anyone else. Exactly. And by the way, keep reading Fearless Garden. I think you'll be ready to go out with your super superhero cape on. Good, because I got to dig up a whole bunch of plants that died in the ice storm. So what are you doing on your garden commission this week? Okay, so this week... Um, I'm going to fix up my terrarium, that little, a little terrarium that needs to be fixed up. I'm going to start harvesting microgreens again. And, uh, you know, if this weather continues, I might be out kind of inspecting the garden and kind of getting myself psyched up for spring. I know before I realize it, the little garden center around the corner is going to text me and say, Hey, Carol, them flowers is ready. So, yeah, um, I... I'm going to get out there this week and start cutting back my grasses and do some other stuff. The grasses have all fallen over anyway because of the snow, so it's time to cut them back. So I'll probably do that, and then I'm, I keep saying I'm going to start seeds indoors. We'll see if I actually do it this year. I have been really, really busy this last month, and I'm behind. But we'll see what happens. I'm not too behind on the warm stuff, but I've also got to plant my cold stuff outside so there's a lot going on right now, and I always feel kind of overwhelmed right at this moment in the garden season. I also have that spider mite problem in my greenhouse right now. So if I do start seeds, I will start them on my seed starting station down in the basement. Very good. Very good. And I think with the sunshine going on out there, you're going to get your mojo back pretty darn quick. I hope so. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode. We have run long, but we want to thank everyone for listening to The Garden Angelus. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Several of my friends have been sharing it, and I want to give a shout-out to my friend Beth Teal up in Tulsa. She shared it all over Facebook the other day, and we got some new listeners last week. Hooray! And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we earn a small commission, and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.